Most of the world around us is looking for that peaceful, easy feeling. They're looking for a place of peace. They're looking for a place where they can... And, and that is seldom found in our culture. Here's why. Here's, here's why I know that's true. This, a scene, this scene or a scene like this Next. Yeah. <laughs> this, this scene or a scene like this is probably on your computer screen as a, as, a, as, a back, as a desktop or a background or on your home screen as a phone. There's some, I, I guarantee you if I took up your phones, 80% of them would have some kind of peaceful, maybe a Bible verse that, that, that talks about peace or, or trust in the storm or, or some, there's some peaceful scene on your phone, your phone or on your computer. Now, the reason, I, the reason I know that to be true is I've, I've scoured around and looked at people's home screens when, they're, when, they, when they don't think I'm looking, I guess. Preacher's looking, I better do something. And, and I'm convinced, really, not, not only as a result of that, but as, as a result of what I see in our culture of, and, and, and believers are, are no different than the rest of the culture, living wire to wire to wire to wire to wire to wire. And our life is, is everywhere we turn is wall to wall, ceiling to floor. And, and there's, there's really no sense of margin. There's no sense of uh, a place where we can kind of get alone and by ourselves. And as I said a moment ago, just kind of take a deep breath and figure out what's next. And how am I managing and handling what I'm into now? And so Paul knows that to be true. And that's true of the Philippian church. It was true of Philippian believers in the early churches. It's, it's true today. Uh, the circumstances were a little different. But the, but the, the outcome was still the same. It's the, the fact that there, there was so much going on in, in, in the life of this church and in the lives of these early believers, part of which was persecution, uh, that they lived a life of, of daily intensity. I mean, it was intense one day. It got it more intense the next, more intense the next. We'll see evidence of that in just a moment. But there was this, there was this sense of how most of these folks lived, and not unlike us, that there's really no room for anything else but what I'm consumed with for today. And I don't have room to see or hear God because I'm consumed with work or I'm consumed with the kids or I'm consumed with, with not running out of money before I ran out a month or, or I'm consumed with making, making my health, getting my blood pressure medicine taken on time, making sure all the pills are in the right boxes and, or whatever, whatever it is for you, making sure that, that my life has order to it and there's, that there's some sense of, okay, I've got this and this and this and this in place. Now, if I can keep the plate spinning, everything's clicking. If I let a plate fall, life tends to crumble and fall apart. Most of us live in that kind of place. That's not what God's called us to. He has called us to live in a place of peace. Now, peace means, well, it can mean a lot of things, but it doesn't have to mean letting everything in your life go and hitting the pause button. You totally check it out and going someplace else. It can mean peace in the midst of a hard place, peace in the midst of a blessing, peace in the midst of a hurt, hurtful place, peace in the midst of, of uncertainty, peace in the midst of loss. Peace in the midst. It can, it can be peace in the midst of whatever it is that your life it, your life is going through, but He's called us to live at peace with each other and at a place of peace in ourselves. Let's look at this text together from Philippians chapter four, verses one down through verse nine together. Join me. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. In this way, dear friends, I plead with Euodia. And I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. 
along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. A place of peace, we'll look at these four principles here, and there are dozens here in this passage, it's a rich text. Let's look at, look, look at at least these four things. A place of peace, first of all, is cause for rejoicing. A place of peace is cause for rejoicing. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me again. A rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, he says. Rejoice. The implication here by Paul is that there are circumstances where really not reason for rejoicing. That's why he mentions this twice. Rejoice, he says. And he can, as he says that or writes that, he can almost hear them saying, rejoice. Are you kidding and he says it again, again, I'll say it again, rejoice, yes. Rejoice even in the midst of what you're going through, even in the midst of circumstances that are hard or don't make sense. Now, by the way, the way he writes here in verses 2 and 3, there's likely some contention going on among at least a couple of women in the church, maybe more than that, but at least a couple of women in the church, some, some contentious some dis- disagreement going on. I can't imagine it going on between two women, can you? But there's, there's, there's some contention going on between two women in the church. Now, I don't believe this rejoices just to these two women. I think it's basically to this church to say, listen, even in the midst of things that are friction, that, that bring, bring friction in the body and friction in your mind and your heart and maybe over even some sound things like theology, which they were dealing with, even in the midst of a hard place where there's disagreement, you can and should find a place of joy, find a place to rejoice. How is that possible? We're going to see as this unfolds together, but he says there's reason for rejoicing. And the implication, as I said here, is regardless of your circumstances. And your circumstances don't call for rejoicing. Your circumstances are, they call for some diciness and for, for, for some anxiety. And, and that's what you're experiencing. But you need to find a place to rejoice. He says, I think that because he wants them to disagree without being disagreeable. He wants them to see that they're, on, they're, they're, on, they're at different places about some things in the church, yet they can love each other and still be the body of Christ, even though they disagree about some particular items in the church. And that's a great lesson for us. We need to major on the major things in the kingdom and minor on the minor things in the kingdom. And sadly, in many churches, they're majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors and trying to figure out what happened. Where did the joy in our church go? Where did the joy in this body go? Where did our fellowship go? It's gotten away from us. Why? Because we started focusing on things that didn't matter and elevating things that, that don't over the things that do. And so he's, he's implying here that those are the things that you're dealing with. So be Disagree, fine, but don't disagree, but be disagreeable about it. Find a place of joy and a place of rejoicing, even in the midst of disagreeing with each other. Um, he's saying the vehicle, in fact, through this disagreement is, is finding joy. What? Yeah. The vehicle through disagreement, the vehicle into finding a place of peace and a place of rest again, we'll look at that in just a moment, is joy. It's, 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 it's the car we get into to find us, to lead us to a place of peace. It's realizing, I have much to be thankful for. I have much to be grateful for. My heart can live and walk through and, 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 and be in a place of joy regardless of my circumstances. My circumstances don't define me. The kingdom defines me and the king defines me and his word does. So Paul basically is just a prompter here, trying to prompt them to behaviors that they already know to be true, really, 
but that they're not living, that they're not putting into practice. And he talks about that more in just a moment. But he, he prompts him here to say, listen, I see what you're going through, but I also see what you need. And what you need in the middle of what you're going through is to find a place of joy, to find a reason to rejoice again. And there are many reasons to do that. Now, and, and I think he's saying here, whether you feel like it or not, whether it's convenient or not, whether you think you have time for it or not, find a place to find joy and rejoice over who you are, over the things God's done in you and is going to do through you and are, has already done through you into, into me, as he says here in just a moment. You've been a blessing to me. So in, in, the, in those things, find the joy that God is doing. Find the things that he's up to and rejoice in those things over and above the things that are, that are petty and the things that you're disagreeing over even now. A place of peace is cause for rejoicing. Secondly, a place of peace is found in consistent prayer. Look at verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In every situation, Paul says here in this verse, by prayer and petition, in every situation. Let's look, look at these three ingredients that he paints here in verse 6, especially. Um, in every situation, in, in essence, he's talking about consistency, the principle of consistency, to, to, to be consistent in prayer. In essence, to, to, to live and do prayer as a way of life, not as a way to escape it, but as a way to walk in it with greater understanding, as a way to see through it at, at, at what God is up to. Prayer, he says, is the vehicle, and if we're consistent about it as a way of life, we won't have to transition to pray. Ever, you ever been around people like that that have to, <coughs> Heavenly Father, they have to make a transition of some kind to pray. And that's what he's talking about here is in every situation, be on the ready to pray. Be on the re- ready to, to, to talk to God and be honest with him about what's up and what you don't understand about it and what you're trying to see through it. And honestly, honest prayer is what, is, is what God hears anyway. We can, we can say all the heavenly fathers and all the, we can say all that we want to, but honest dialogue is what he's listening to. He cuts through all that to say, here's what you're really saying to me. You're saying you don't understand. You're saying you don't get it. You're saying you're in need. You're saying you're, you're, here's a situation in your life that you need help with. You're, and whether, whether our prayer is, is a prayer of God, thank you for this. Thank you for passing through that intersection and, and, and the dude just barely missing me. Or thank you for the situation at work today. Or whether it's a prayer in, in need of, man, here's somebody that's struggling, Lord. Come alongside them, help them, encourage them. Or whether it's a prayer for our nation to say, we need your help. We need some. We need some clarity to what, what you want us to see, and we need we we need your hand on this. And we need, we need your blessing, regardless of the context of the prayer. He's saying, don't hit pause to do that. See that as a way of life. See that as as a point of consistency in your walk to where there is zero transition between what you're living today and what you're praying in the next moment. Now, should there be closets of prayer where we get along, get alongside and along with God? Absolutely. But prayer, Paul's saying here, is to be a lifestyle. That is, that is more, more about petition and worship, really, I think, uh, a closet prayer time or alone prayer time. But in the moment prayer time is more about what's happening in the moment. Lord, help me see this. I don't, I'm not getting it. I don't want to blow it here. I want you, to, I want you to, 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 to speak through me, to think through me, to talk through me. I don't want to open my mouth and speak of the, sound like the enemy. I want to sound like what you want me to sound like in, the, in this situation at work or in this situation with my spouse or with my kids or whatever else. And he's saying, pray in that kind of context that it's, it, that it's continual. It is, it is in every, consistent in every situation. The second principle is not only in every situation, but with prayer and petition. And he's talking here together in, in this context about a sense of urgency. 
first principle is a sense of consistency. The second principle is urgency. To pray with a sense of that, that what is happening in the moment is true to us in the moment and is true to, and is important to him in the moment. To pray with a sense of urgency about what's going on and not, not as if we're inconveniencing God by bringing this to him, but say, listen, I don't get this. And I'm in the middle of this, and I want to understand this. I want to see your hand in it. I don't have to see the end. I don't see. I don't have to see where all this is going. But what I need to see today is you've got this, and I need to see your hand at work. I need you to show up and convince me, either by way of the Spirit, by way of your Word, by way of an encouragement, word of a friend, or just a sense of God's presence in this prayer time. I need your hand. I need to see that you're you're ahead of me and you're with me in this situation. That there's a sense of urgency. That we're not praying as I as I as I modeled a moment ago bunch of memorized words that we've heard somebody pray before in church and thought, well, gee, that sounds good. I'll pray that too. God's not impressed by that. He wants, he wants intimacy and honesty out of us. He wants communication with us as, as we would talk to a friend, not as we would talk to, to, to someone who, who is in some distant galaxy someplace. He is intimate with us and lives in us and wants to live through us. And the more we see that relationship as an intimate relationship, the more we're charged by that, the more we pray more honestly, the more we live more transparently. And that's that's what he's about in us. And so he says here that not only this first first point of praying with consistency, but praying with urgency. Pray in the moment. Keep your flowery words. Pray to me what's real. Pray to me what's in your heart. Pray to me what's true, what's going on in that moment. The third principle, though, is with thanksgiving. That brings in this principle of gratitude. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, consistency, urgency, and gratitude. And as he's praying, as he d- describes this, this prayer here, um, and he starts back up here in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. And as this, hang together. You're better together than you are alone. <clears throat> You're stronger together than you are alone. You're more consistent together than you are alone. Be grateful that you have each other. Be grateful that there are people in your life that love you, that care about you, that are willing to stand with you, hold you up, lift you up in prayer, stand beside you, lock arms with you in the faith, and walk through a hard place. There's, there's, we're, we're coming up on Thanksgiving here in just a couple of weeks, and, and you know, perhaps, uh, perhaps you have a time in your family where you, you go around a dinner table or something, you share what you're thankful for. Or maybe you do that on your own. But we need to find and revisit as the body of Christ a place of gratitude. Because we are, we are a spoiled culture. American Christianity is a spoiled culture. And, and I say that because I've seen other cultures. I say that because I've seen and heard and read what people walk through just to have, an, just to have a faith in Jesus, putting their life at risk in many countries around the world. Uh, there are people being killed even in this moment as I speak for their faith around the world. There are folks that are, that are being challenged, that are being jailed. For their, for their. We have such a blessed culture here in America that we could, we could assemble together here no longer at 9 o'clock at 10.30 on Sundays and worship God in, in freedom and, 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 and with the expression of our heart, however. And we are blessed to be able to do that. And there, there should be in us, as we come this way every Sunday and as we gather together in fellowship with each other, there should be in us a sense of gratitude. God, you bless me to, to, to be born in this time and place and in doing life in church with these people that care about me and, and that love me and me them, how did I how did I earn that? How did I merit that? You 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 birthed me into a Christian home. You've given me Christian friends to pray for me, to come alongside me, to encourage me, to to to, to, to prod me where I need it, to love me where I need it, to to, to show me compassion where I, you you you've placed those kind of people. Where I didn't do anything to deserve that. Nothing. 
Yet that's the blessing of the hand of God. And we, we need to reclaim a sense of gratitude and pray that back to him. God, I thank you for so-and-so, and I thank you for him, and I thank you for her, and I thank you for this situation. I thank you for that I've got enough money to make the house payment. I thank you that we've got groceries in the refrigerator. Thankful that I've got clothes to wear, that I've got something to get me from here to there, a roof over my head. I'm grateful for the things that other people don't have. And, and, and as I see that laid in my lap, you know, day after day, week after week, year after year, I see that it's the hand of God that's blessed me to be able to, to, to be in this situation. We need to reclaim this sense of gratitude and be, and be grateful for where God has placed us, when he's placed us there, and, and, and hang on to each other as a result of that. Well, these three forms of prayer have a product. And the product here is, he says in verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. The peace of God which, which, which literally, in essence, to, to use a modern vernacular, the peace of God that blows your minds transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's saying it's beyond your ability to get it, this peace of God. It's, it's, it, is, it is a peace that, he says here, guards your hearts and minds, guards the things that are most precious to you. And let's face it, just as, uh, just as sin has its root in the will of man, in the heart of man, so does rejoicing, so does blessing, so does peace. Just as just as it ha- just as as our as our physical being, our heart ticks and our mind clicks, just as those things are true in, in a physical sense, they're also true in a spiritual sense. And he says the peace that God gives is what guards those things. It's what puts a hedge around your mind and heart to guard you from, to keep you from stepping into a place you don't need to step, to keep you from walking into a room you don't need to walk into and saying something you shouldn't say. Guarding your tongue, pulling it back in, but reining it back in before you've ever said it. It's the peace of God, he says, that gives you the, 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 the ability to do that. This, this peace that, that transcends all understanding. He says this is a lifestyle with you as you learn to pray this way. This, is a, this becomes a lifestyle with you. The, the, the peace of this, it is transformational peace that transforms the way you think, that transforms your will, the things you want. It transforms your mind. It transforms your circumstances. It transforms your relationships. This kind of peace is transformational, and it, 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 is, it is beyond comprehension, he says here. So if you're trying to get your mind around, if I do this, this, and this, then this amount of peace will come my way. He says, listen, it's immeasurable. If I pray this way, and if I seek God in this way, he said, peace immeasurable is going to come over you. Now, and it don't look like a home screen. It don't look like a desktop background. It looks like someone around you that says, you know what? I don't know why, but I've been praying for you. I've just been, God's put, placed it on my heart to pray for you. Either something has come, either you're in the middle of something or something is coming that you need prayer for. And God just told me, I need to pray for you. That's what, that's what peace looks like. It looks like someone else coming, coming up and, and just maybe inexplic- inexplicably giving you a hug that they didn't know you needed. That's what peace looks like. It looks like you're being blessed with a, a, a utility bill Leanne just told me what our utility bill was yesterday. It's half, about half what we, we usually pay. Of course, weather's been nice too. But it's, that's what peace looks like. It, 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 it looks like the, the, the little tidbits that God places in your world and around you and people around you that says, I've got you, I've got you, I've got you, I've got you. I've got this, I've got that, I've got it, I've got it. I've always had it. You'll let me have it. I'll keep it. You won't have to fool with it and worry over it anymore. And you can live and walk in peace. That's what that looks like. It doesn't look like a doesn't look like a sailboat on a on a. It's nice. I've never been sailing, but it looks looks fun. But that's not where peace is found. Peace is found in the middle of a hard place to say, "Listen, 
I know God's all over this. I don't see all the circumstances now clicking. don't see how this is going to fall out, but I know God's got this and got me in the middle of it. A place of peace is found in consistent prayer. Thirdly, a place of peace is found in valuing the right stuff. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, well, this, this is a rich verse. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. In essence, train your heart, the, the hearts and minds that he's talking about in verse 7, train your hearts and minds to think on these things. Discipline your mind, discipline your heart that it desires and chases and goes after these kinds of things. So let's look at them. Three categories he gives us here. Things that are true and noble and right. Those things deal with the things we know. The the, the things we know that are nailed down that are absolutely true all the time. Gravity, the sun coming up, God's goodness, his faithfulness. The the, the fact that that, that if, if, if I kick the end of this pew, my toe's going... The things we know to be true, the things we know to be absolute. For me, it's the absolute truth of God's word. I hope it's that way for you too. But he's saying these are the things that are that are noble, the things that are right, the things that are true, the things you know will stand regardless of the circumstance, the things you know that you can count on in any and every situation, every time, every time, in any situation. Those things, those things are in a way, in essence, dealing with the things we know. Now, we'll talk more about that in just a moment. The second category is whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Those deals with the things we see. True, noble, and pure deal with the things we know. Lovely and admirable deal with the things we see. Where, he says, in essence, where are you focused? Where, 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 where do your eyes turn? What, what catches your attention? What captures you? What, what, what keeps you captured? What are the things that you that you allow into your mind and into your heart and into your into your psyche into the way you think based on the things you see, and are the things you see altogether true or, or are they a perception of truth? Have you gotten to the bottom of that and this and that to know that I can bank on those things, or is that my perception of what is or what isn't? Because we can't always trust what we see, can't always trust what we read, can't always trust what we hear. The truth is at the bottom of all those things, or a lie is at the bottom of all those things, and that's the that's the the, the bottom that we need to get to. So our perception is fairly is, is is figuratively important. Why? Because our perception leads to our reality. We can perceive things are clicking, and our life is crumbling. You know, guess what? Our life's crum, 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 is crumbling, whether we perceive things are clicking or not. We can perceive that things are crumbling, and our life is clicking. You know what? Our life is clicking, whether our perception is crumbling or not. It is altogether important, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, in where our focus is, what the things we're focused on in life to where those are the, those are the true and noble and sound things, the true things, or are they things that make me feel better about myself, make my life situation look better? What am I focused on? The third category is this. Not only what is true and noble and right, what is lovely and admirable, the third thing he says here is whatever is excellent or praiseworthy. Things that are excellent or praiseworthy. And that deals with what we experience. The first true, noble, and right deals with what we know. Lovely and admirable deals with what we see. Excellent and praiseworthy deals with what we experience. What have you experienced that you know to be good, to be right, to be excellent, to be praiseworthy, to be notable in your life that has mattered to you? What have you experienced that, have ad- that has added value to your life? And not just value for the moment, but value for decades and, va- and value for, 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 your life, for your life as long as it has been in existence to this point. What are the things that, are, that have changed you, 
not only in that moment, but for every moment after that. What are those things? What are those relationships that God has placed around you that has changed your perception, changed the way you think, changed your attitude? What are those life experiences and circumstances? What are the things God has let you see, perhaps even in nature, perhaps in circumstances of people's lives, him showing up, doing a miracle here, touching somebody over there, bringing healing over here? What are the things that you've seen and witnessed that you've experienced on your own, perhaps through a family member or loved one, or in your, in your own body or in your own life, God's healing? What are the things you've experienced that you know that was God? I mean, there's no way to escape that it was God. He says, those are the things that are excellent. Those are the things that are praiseworthy. Those kinds of things you've experienced that you know are outside yourself and outside your ability to do anything at all about. God was all over that. It was all God and no me. Those are the things he's talking about that are excellent and praiseworthy. So he says, as you, as you, as you train your mind and heart that's being guarded by peace in verse 7, train them in these ways to, 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 to let them think on things that are true, pure, noble, and excellence, things that we know, things that are lovely and admirable, things that we see, and things that are excellent and praiseworthy, things that are, are, are relative to what we've experienced. He says those are the things that matter. Those are the things where we, we need to find our mind dwelling on over and over and over again, day after day after day. Uh, this order now in, in, in this is intentional. It's because everything begins, or really all evil begins with challenging what you know. The enemy will do that. He'll challenge the things you think you know to ask you, do you, do you really believe that? If you don't believe that's off-putting, if you don't believe that's challenging, ask somebody that um, this week. I'm voting for Hillary. I'm voting for Trump. Or I'm, I'm for guns. Or I'm for world peace. Or I'm for planting trees. Or I'm for whatever. Ask him, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? And you'll start to get a, who do you think you are for asking me that question? You'll get those kind of looks, you, or you'll get, well, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked me that before. That's what I've been heard. It's, what, it's what's been spouted to me by the media and everybody else, and, and I've absorbed it to be true. And now that I'm challenged on it, I'm not, I'm not real sure it's true myself. The, 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 he, he is saying here, the, the, this order is intentional because everything starts in the mind. All, all corruption starts in the mind. All growth starts in the mind. All detriment starts in the mind. All good starts in the mind. It starts in the mind. It starts with the things we know to be true. That's where the enemy starts with us, to create doubt. Can you really believe that? Is that really right? Why has God not shown up and given you more clarity in this situation? Where's your God? Where is he in all this? Can you not? Can, why trust him if he don't show? And, and he starts with doubt, and he starts with clutter, and he starts with gray areas, and he starts with... And he, he just plants a seed here and there and here and there. And as, as I've always said, he never slaps us in the face. It's always incremental. It's always over time. Snip here, snip there, snip here. But it always starts in the mind with what we know. The order of this is intentional. It moves from what we know to what we perceive to be true. And our perceptions then starts to be clouded by what we've known. If I don't know that to be true, then maybe this is what I'm seeing over here is false too. Maybe I need to follow him instead of her, or him or her instead of him, or this instead of that. And our perception totally changes because the things we know, the bedrock anchored things now have been shaken. And our perception changes, and then, then our experience changes. We're willing to try things that we weren't willing to try before. Why? Because we knew what was true, and now we're questioning what is true. And now what we're willing to try and experience based on the truth being shaken is something altogether different. That's how he works with us. That's why the order of this is vital and important that we value the right stuff and keep it in the right order. So then our experience comes from living out these other two things of perception and reality. So uh, he says to think about these things. I think if I could insert my own word, 
here, and, and this is my word, not God's or Paul's or anybody else's. But I, I hear him saying, take the time to ponder this. Feel how uncomfortable that silence was just for a couple seconds. Take the time. We get that. We're uncomfortable with silence. We've got to have a radio going. We've got to have a TV going. We've got to have something in the car going. We've got to have... We're surrounded with noise. And we can't... We're uncomfortable taking the time to just ponder things and think on things that matter. We're, we think somehow that's... I need to be doing something, don't I? I don't want to have time to do this. I need to be doing something. Let me give you a great hint. You don't write anything down this morning. Write this down. It's not even in my notes. Peace runs hand in hand with margin. You can't have one without the other. You can't have peace without some margin in your life. Margin is vital to really every, every person's life and every believer's life because with no margin, you'll never hear the voice of God. Your life will be so full of clutter and so full of stuff and so full of busyness and so full of... Everything that seems important, maybe some, a lot of good stuff, ministry stuff, church stuff. So full of all of that, you, you never, there's never enough silence, never enough open space and gaps in your life and in your world where you can hear the voice of God, recognize it, and respond to it. Margin and peace go hand in hand. That's the right stuff. Fourthly, not only is a place of peace cause for rejoicing and is it found in constant, consistent prayer and found in valuing the right stuff. Fourthly, it's found in walking the walk. Look at verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Put it into practice. Put what into practice? He says here, put, put into practice these things. These things you have heard and seen in me. We talked last week about that in the latter part of chapter 3, where Paul says, you follow my example. Join in following my example, he says. And he gives them the specifics here in the, in the beginning of chapter 4 of the things to look for in that example, the things that are noble, true, right, pure, admirable, lovely. He said, let your mind dwell on these things. He says, and now he's saying, you follow those things as you see them in me. You put those things that we just talked about, put those into practice. As you see me put them into practice, as you see me put skin on them for you and feet on them for you and hands on them for you, that's how you're to live it, live it out and walk it out in your world. As you see that model in front of you by me, live that out. Move your life beyond the theoretical. Move your life beyond what is possible to what is practical. Practical. Most of us get stuck there because the enemy has us there. He has us chained there to say, listen, until you know this to be true, don't stick your neck out there. You stick your neck out there with this kind of belief or this kind of practice or this kind of faith, and we'll tell you it's going to get chopped off. And Fingers are going to start pointing. And people, yeah, thought you could trust your God, didn't you? How is he looking for you now? You stick that out there, and, and it's, it's going to get chopped off. Stay in the safe place. Stay in where it's theoretical. Don't put any of this into practice. You start putting it into practice, and you're a freak. You're a Jesus freak, and you look like that to the world. And you can, Don't put it into this practice. Keep it safe. You keep it safe, and everything works okay. Keep it inside the walls of your church. Keep it in your small group. Keep it among your Christian friends. Keep all that in a safe, quiet place. And it'll never be controversial. You get it out there into practice. Ah, somebody's going to get offended. Somebody's going to get the feelings hurt. Somebody's going to get 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 something chopped off. He says, to put th- put this into practice. What you know, he says says in essence. I hear Paul saying, test this, try it, prove it, get it out there, get it into your life, get it into your world, get it into your speech, get it into your patterns, and that'll see if it doesn't change not only you but the people around you, the perception that they have of you and your walk with Christ. Um, 
I'm going to tell you, there are a lot worse things than messing up. And the fear of messing up is what keeps most of us in bondage to what we know to be true. To putting these noble, right, true, admirable, lovely, to putting these things into practice that we already know to be true, there's fear of, I don't want to mess it up. I don't, and some of the fear is actually justifiable to say, I don't want God to have a, a scar. <laughs> I don't want the world to see him falsely. So I don't want to get out there and mess him up. Can I tell you something? He's big enough to handle that. He's big enough to handle your failures. In your, in, in your trying to look like him and not looking like him very well, he's big enough to handle that. And then some, and then some, and then some. As we put these things into practice, he says, our life moves beyond the theoretical. It, 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 starts, to, it starts to be real. It starts to be something that, that, that affects us and changes us and affects others and changes others around us. The hard part about that is getting beyond the fear, getting beyond the, the, the anxiety that he says in verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. Moving beyond the anxiety into the practical, moving beyond the fear into the faith of saying, I'm going to live this out. Now, there are 60,000 other things over here that I haven't arrived at yet, but these one or two things I'm going to live out this week. I want to put into practice this week, or at least today, and see what God does in me and through me as a result of that. Now, this is a hard thing to do, I realize, because most, most, most Christians don't sit where I sit. They don't stand in front of a group of people to stir, to challenge, to, to, to inspire, to inform. To, to They don't do that. And so it's easy to come in and sit in a place where you sit and stay, as it were, more or less, in the bleachers. It's a little different animal to get up in front of the, those in the bleachers and get on the field and say, here's what I believe God's doing in my life. Here's what I think he's up to in me. And I want to live this out in front of you. And as I said last week, if you're looking for a model to follow, I'll be bold enough to say you follow mine until you find a more godly one than mine. Now you're going to find some failures in mine. I'm going to tell you that as you will in any human example. But you follow the example in me, as Paul says, as, as you see God in me, as you see these, these things that are noble and pure and true and right, you follow those things, put those things into practice. But I'm going to tell you, failure will keep us in the bleachers our entire life. And fear and anxiety will keep us there instead of getting up to say, listen, I'm getting on the field. I'm getting in the game. I'm going to get beat up a little bit because I don't know the plays. <laughs> and I'm going to be in the wrong position sometimes. And I'm going to say some things I shouldn't say. I'm gonna, it's going to be misunderstood. That's okay. I'm going to do some things I shouldn't do. And I get that. But I'm getting, I'm tired. I'm tired of spectator Christianity. I'm tired of being a, a conscientious observer of Christians and being one, but never being engaged with a culture that says, I don't like you. I don't like what you believe. And we'll tell you, you're living in a culture that don't like you and don't like what you believe. Now, for you to get off the bleachers and in the game, it's going to be a little costly. You're going to get some bruises. You're going to get some, who she thinks she is? Who she thinks she is? She's she no better than the rest of us. You're going to get some of those things behind your back. You're going to get some challenges to your face from time to time. You're going to get, you get in the game, you're going to get a little, little, little bruised, a little beat up because it gets rough sometimes. That's what Paul is calling us to. And he says, you know what? You know what you'll find in the middle of all that hardness and all that roughness? You know what you'll find in the middle of that? peace that transcends all understanding. A peace that says, I've got you. I've got this. None of this, none of this takes me by surprise. None of this, I saw all of this coming. I've got you. Let's keep walking. Yeah, but I got trounced today. I don't know. Just keep walking. Walk with me. You walk with him another day and, and there's another comment. There's another, I know, I know. I saw all that coming too. Let's keep walking. Let's keep walking. And the further you walk with him, the further you the deeper this peace goes and the more deeply, the deeply you understand what transcending means. 
It transcends the way you think. Transcends, transcends the way you behave, the, the, what you do with money, what you do with your marriage, what you do with your parenting, what you do with your job. It transcends everything this peace does. It's beyond comprehension. And that's what he's talking about is the, is the outgrowth. The, the peace that comes from the power and presence of God is the outgrowth of this kind of put-it-into-practice lifestyle. Uh, he says that, 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 that the walking the walk is, is the vehicle, he says here, to your experiencing the things I've longed for you to experience all this time, Paul says. Get after it. Get beyond the theoretical, get beyond the possible, into the practical. Let it have, have, have effect in the way you think and the way you live. I had a question and observation, and we're done here in this, uh, in this day around uh, this idea of peace. That's this. Does your life look more like anxiety or fear or peace? Which one? Anxiety and fear or peace? I would challenge you to answer that question by getting someone that is not totally unknown to you, but that you know somewhat. And you have enough relationship that you believe they would tell you the truth and ask them this question. Does my life look more like peace to you or more like anxiety or fear? What do you think? And listen to what they say. Listen to their observations because here's what is true. A life of peace easily finds the joy in things. Zero transition. So if you've lost joy and you wonder what happened, what happened to my faith, what happened to my joy, what happened to my sense of of God being involved in my life, I could see his hand at work, he was answering prayer, what happened to that kind of relationship I had? I I didn't mean to lose it. I didn't mean to walk away from it. But as I said earlier, incrementally the enemies come in and say, do you really believe that? Really believe that? Do you really? Is that? Where's your God? Where's and a bite at a time, we've lost the, the fire and the zeal and the joy that we once had. And Paul is saying here that peace is the vehicle to seeing that again. Walking in a place of peace where regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the storm that's going on around us, we're walking through in a peaceful place to say, I know God's got this. In that place, we can start to find the joy again that we once lost. And that's, that's, we need, that needs reclaimed and needs to be brought back into our world and back into our vocabulary and back into our attitude and back into our spirit and back into our thoughts and back into our prayers. That kind of joy is an easy transition from peace. If we're living out of fear, we're living out of anxiety, man, it's hard to see joy. In fact, we can't see it coming for the life of us. But if we're living in a place of peace and we're, we're experiencing some of these kinds of things that Paul has talked about here in the Philippian church, joy is a seamless transition. It's easy to see, and it's easier to find and get in. That depends on you and I today, whether we're willing to say, peace is theoretical to me. It's always been theoretical. I've never found it. I've never found the place of it. never lived there. I never, maybe until today, saw a formula to get there. Now I see it. So now we're accountable to say, do we stay the same or do we change? Do we, do we walk with, with the same anxiety and, and, and fear of the unknown that we've, we've had all our life? Or do we say, listen, I don't care what's around the corner. I don't, really don't care what's around the next corner as long as the Lord's there. I'm willing to follow him around any corner, around any, in, in any cubby to find him more intimately than I've known him today. That's a place where every Christian needs to pursue. And peace is found there that he says transcends. It blows your mind peace. It's blow your mind peace you can experience in, in finding him in that place. I hope that's what we long for today. Let's pray.